Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. I have another great episode for you, but before I get into it, I'd like to let you know about a couple of things. If you haven't already, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It helps more people find out about this podcast. And if you want your own special Toasted Sister coffee cup, head on over to ToastedSisterPodcast.com. Thank you to Kim, Natalie, and Karen for purchasing one recently. I really hope you're enjoying it. Your purchase will help keep this podcast going. And you can also leave a donation of any amount by visiting the website too. I'd like to give a special shout out and thank you to Navajo Technical University's radio station, KCZY. They broadcast Toasted Sister and Crown Point. That's my hometown on the Navajo Nation. And as always, thank you all for listening and sharing these episodes. There's much more to Native food and more Native chefs and farmers and knowledge keepers to talk to, and I'm happy to connect them and their work with all of you. My guest for this episode is Christina Stanley. She's Anishinaabe from Wisconsin. She's a member of the I Collective, which is a nonprofit dedicated to promoting and preserving indigenous food. She's also a business owner of the up and coming Abasa. She'll explain later. I met with Christina at the Food Justice Symposium in Dolores, Colorado. We did this interview in the kitchen as she and other I Collective members were prepping for dinner. If you want to see photos from the kitchen, go to ToastedSisterPodcast.com. All right, Christina, what are you making right now? Uh, right now, I am just preparing a vinaigrette for our salad that will be going with this evening's dinner. And the vinaigrette I'm making today, we actually have a maple vinegar made uh, at the Zizak. And I have mixed that with some choke cherry jam and uh, sunflower oil, a little bit of salt. I'm going to just put that in a salad with some greens, some uh, wild greens some toasted pumpkin seeds, and sliced apple. Um, so, so people are going to be eating a little bit later for dinner here. Um, what do you hope they kind of um, pay attention to, or what do you hope they are maybe thinking about when they are eating the salad, when they are going to be eating that lamb and uh, everything you guys are going to be serving? Well, anytime that we are preparing food for the community, we want them to be thinking, of course, about, you know, where the food comes from. And, you know, one thing I always um, make sure to chat with folks about, too, is, you know, pay attention to how you feel after. And especially when we have events like this, where we get to cook for, for people for multiple days, to really pay attention um, if you don't eat this way, if you aren't eating whole foods, traditional foods, you know, a lot of plant-based foods, you really do feel a lot different. And I think having an opportunity to have food prepared for you and see how you feel after a few days uh, of good, clean eating 
I think that that can actually have a really great impact um, and people will start to do more work moving forward to think about what they're putting into their body and where they're sourcing their ingredients from and everything that we prepare always has a story behind it so if the opportunity presents itself and we always try to share that story as well. And what are some of your favorite uh, foods to prepare? I know you are um, uh, trying to put together a uh, like a vegan restaurant or a, at least a plant-based restaurant, right? Yes, so I just launched a new business, uh, Abasso, and it is all plant-based. Everything is vegan, and I do a lot of um, alternative grains and you know essentially gluten-free as well. And a lot of my favorite things to prepare are, well, I worked as a pastry chef for a really long time, so I definitely like to play around with the pastry side of things, um, which definitely helps a lot at events like this. Um, a lot of indigenous chefs haven't spent as much time um, trying to create sweets using uh, local edibles and you know, all the alternative grains. And so I think that that's something that's really fun and kind of unique and that I bring to the table when when joining these events is having that opportunity to just take the local produce and um, local grains and see what I can come up with. And you came up with some uh, really pretty cookies up here. They have a little bit of, is that jam or uh, some kind of berry sauce in the middle? Um, so yeah, that is the choke cherry jam that I also used to make this vinaigrette. Um, I had a little bit left, so we decided to use it. Uh, wanted to use everything. So we decided to use that for the vinaigrette for our salad. Um, but they are, it's a sunflower cookie and it's also made with puree, uh, local roasted squash. And then I used a sunflower meal and a little bit of mesquite flour and um, just made a really nice light soft cookie. They're a really popular. I make kind of a version of these cookies at a lot of events. And the only real consistent ingredients are the, the sunflower meal sunflower seeds and then I do try to use choke cherries just because I love sunflower and choke cherry together uh, I call the cookies sun print cookies but the what varies is I, I always have an additional you know flour blend sometimes it's a wild rice flour or you know it might be other nut meals or um, just kind of depends on what what's local what kind of flour we have on hand um, and then I also will use a local variety of squash and that I kind of use as a binder, so I don't have to use eggs. Uh, so, so um, Abasso is the the restaurant you're working at. Can you tell me about it and um, uh, where it is? I haven't even really um, introduced where you're from, but uh, talk about Abasso, and then we'll go back and talk about uh, where you're from. Absolutely. So, Abasso is a Madison, Wisconsin-based. Uh, it's a plant-based foods company. So I have launched just in March, and I'm primarily wholesale and catering at this point, making plant-based, um, like nut-based cheeses and things of that nature for area restaurants and cafes, as well as vegan and gluten-free pastries and desserts. And um, Abasso, it's an Ojibwe word, means warms in the sun. And I, I chose that name for many reasons. One, obviously, being a plant-based foods company, uh, plants in the sun have a very, you know, mutually beneficial relationship. And when people enjoyed my food, I wanted them to feel kind of how you feel when you're nourished by the sun. 
uh, I wanted to replicate that through, you know, eating really good, wholesome, nutrient-dense foods. You are from Wisconsin. Can you tell me about um, uh, the tribe you come from and then how you got started in food? Absolutely. Um, I am Anishinaabe from the Red Cliff Band of Lake Superior. And, I mean, I have been working in the food industry, in the culinary industry, my entire working career. So I'm, not to age myself, but <laughs> nearing on about 20 years uh, in the food industry. And um, I started working a lot more within the food sovereignty movement and, you know, working more with indigenous foods and, uh, and highlighting indigenous foods really only within the last few years. Uh, I was working with the Intertribal Agriculture Council um, and helping cook for events with them. And once I was exposed to this community, it spoke to me so much, um, especially with all of my previous education and experience and passions. Um, and, you know, I didn't grow up on the reservation. Uh, I come, my father was adopted. And so, you know, becoming involved, especially with the I Collective, it's just been such an amazing journey for me um, to reconnect. And um, it's just been really, really powerful experience. And I'm definitely still, you know, learning and, and finding my way, absolutely. And um, just feel really honored to be included and to be learning from my peers. And I started in the industry yeah, about 20 years ago, you know, dishwasher first job was the dishwasher and the prep cook and that'll really give you the work ethic you need to get through just about any job after that. Um, after I graduated high school I actually studied eco-psychology uh, at Northland College which is located very near Redcliffe um, in a town called Ashland, Wisconsin also on Lake Superior. It's an environmental liberal arts college and there I primarily focused on horticulture therapy and sustainable agriculture and so that was when I really first started to think about food economics and food access and where food comes from and um, you know obviously I was also you know had an emphasis in psychology and like healing through food and also just how our relationship with food and the natural environment um, at large kind of affected our emotional well-being as well as our physical well-being. So, you know, obviously this all uh, ties into that very well and something that I just, I'm always thinking about and reading about and studying and just trying to be a student of the earth, essentially. <laughs> what are some of the bigger challenges of reconnecting? Um, well, for me, I live in, you know, a metropolitan area, and um, I, I've had a harder time, you know, finding, you know, other natives on a, in a local scale, I guess. So part of it for me is is a bit of the isolation, um, and I guess I would say that is why I have been so grateful for the Guy Collective is because now I have this community, even though we are all very spread out, I, I have this community to share you know, the exciting things that I'm learning or finding or discovering um, and vice versa. I can, can learn right alongside so many amazing, interesting people that are also on their, their own journeys. And so I would say for me, that's the greatest challenge. Um, obviously being a business owner, I'm also a single mother. So I'm a very busy <laughs> and um, 
you know, the, the, you'll never be able to learn all that, all that there is to learn. <laughs> so it's, it's time consuming. It's finding the time. It's making the time, making the space. I know you've been uh, sharing a little bit about some of the challenges of just being a woman in this kind of industry. Um, uh, What are some of those challenges and um, are there any differences that you're seeing in the industry? Well, I mean, having been in the industry as long as I have, it it has been interesting to see how uh, kitchen culture has been evolving and definitely I feel now we are experiencing a little bit more of a dialogue about kitchen culture and about you know sexism in the food industry. From my personal experience, I mean, misogyny and sexism is alive and well in the food service industry, I guess. Uh, there's no other way to put it, but um, the, the difference now is that I think that there is more opportunity for dialogue. And um, at least myself, I feel because of that culture, um, because of the dialogue, I find it easier to advocate for myself and to advocate for other females in the industry as needed. And, you know, we definitely have a long way to go. And um, unfortunately, the work primarily has to be done not by the women. (laughs) So the dialogue really is important, and it is the first step in in making changes and you know one of the struggles of being a woman in the industry of of course is just um being taken seriously uh always having to you know feel the need to work a little harder uh feel that you need to prove yourself even though i did work as a pastry chef for you know nine years trying to make sure i'm not always assigned to dessert and, uh, you know, the topic of uh, vegan food, gluten-free food, I mean, it's, it's um, uh, maybe getting out of hand <laughs> lately. I mean, it's, it's become sort of like a trend. It's become a trend. It's become something that is sometimes like, it's, it's like unaccessible for people who are, um, you know, who don't have the money to, you know, be completely uh, plant-based, to be vegan, f- vegan. Um, what, what do you have to say about that and how has that maybe changed over, over time? Well, I mean, there are so many different reasons, um, why people decide to have a more plant-based diet or, you know, choose veganism. And a lot of that will play into how you eat. You know, there are definitely different types of diets, even, uh, for vegans and, Food access is a huge priority to me, and it's something that I think about constantly, and especially um, within what I do with my business. I'm, I'm always trying to think about my business model and think about, like, am I ensuring that, that this food that I'm making, that I'm working so hard, um, is, is accessible? Um, and one thing that I do, you know, I talk about a lot is there's the convenience food, you know, there's the... Um, the store-bought meat substitutes and you know the cheeses but veganism really is accessible and affordable if you are using you know whole local produce you're getting your your vegetables your seeds your nuts your berries from your local farmers or if you're foraging um, and you're making those things yourself then it is absolutely sustainable, accessible, and affordable, and quite often, um, you know, actually a lot, a lot more affordable. And 
you know, one of the main reasons why a lot of people choose veganism is because it is a lot less taxing on the earth, um, especially if they're thinking about, you know, trying to avoid factory farms um, and things of that nature. Um, the land space that that takes up, the, you know, emissions. There's so much, there's so many factors that are considered. And the way I see it, if, if you are trying to eat as hyper locally as possible and you are learning to make as much yourself as you can and obviously growing your own food, um, much easier to grow your own food even in an urban environment than it is to, you know, have your own livestock, you know? So I, I do think that veganism, I, I do think it is more than a trend and I do think that it, it is accessible as well, but you have to, you have to educate yourself. You have to take the time not only to educate yourself on, you know, what you're putting in your body, but like I said, how, how to access it, how to produce it, you know, meet your farmer. It's one thing, you know, most chefs can tell you, <laughs> you know, you get, you build those relationships, you build that community, um, and you support each other. How would you suggest, if, if, if somebody was going to go um, and, and change their diet and be vegan, how would you suggest they start? Just cold turkey? Turkey? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one thing that I always recommend is if you are removing that protein from your diet. I feel like that's the thing folks always get nervous about. Is, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss out on this protein. I'm going to miss out on this iron. Um, you know, before you decide to make that jump, really do a little bit of research on the nutritional value of certain things. Like try to find a few staple ingredients that are things that you really love that have high nutritional value. So many grains and so many greens have a ton of protein in addition to so many other you know vital nutrients and I think a lot of people really underestimate um, the amount of you know for example just sunflower seeds um, they have an immense amount of both protein and iron um, among many other you know valuable nutrients so I think just educating yourself a little bit, finding a few staple foods that you know are going to give you some of the things that you might be concerned about missing. And then the other thing is when, when you're eating less meat, you might be concerned about, you know, being as full. And if you up your healthy fats, that also helps, uh, you know, alleviate some of those, the hunger. <laughs> and you're vegan, are you? I'm not. <laughs> I am not. And I actually, you know, Part of why I decided to have a vegan business is because food access is so important to me. And I feel really strongly anytime, you know, I'm at an event or I'm selling goods, you know, to the community. For me, I'm just so inclusive and so community oriented. I evolved to, to doing vegan food just because, and then I also always have, you know, I, I think about all common food allergies really um, and and dietary restrictions and I just want any person to come to my table and be able to eat something that is delicious and nutrient dense and that's kind of like my mindset is is more just that so to me veganism is inclusive because anyone can come and they're going to be able to eat it and you know I started exploring uh, cooking with plant, you know, cooking plant-based foods, um, partially because 
I, you know, started to develop a lot of um, ailments, and I, you know, over the years of visiting nutritionists, dietitians, healers, doctors, you name it, um, you know, I have a, I have a lot of food sensitivities myself, and I have a lot of things that I do avoid eating, and so I really did start to understand like what what that's like, and you know, being mindful about what's important to put into my body because what you eat your diet is so personal you know every single human is different and the way that we process food is different and so I don't think that there really is any necessarily like universal diet that is the right thing for every person because we're just all so unique and, you know, a lot of it is, it's, you know, regional ailments that you hear about, you know, it's uh, hereditary things, you know, it's, it's so fascinating uh, to, to explore that. But I just try to be very mindful of the fact that, you know, I know there are a lot of very strange things that, that I don't eat and I can't eat. So I try to, yeah, just make sure that, that there's a seat for everyone at, at the table. Carlos Baca, who you heard from in previous episodes of this podcast, was also in the kitchen. Here he is explaining the purpose of the Food Justice Symposium. The weekend is designed to uh, bring in community. Uh, we currently have two Pueblos, Navajo, Ute Mountain, Southern Ute, San Carlos Apache, uh, Red Cliff. We have a panel on racial justice um, that is going on right now. They're speaking. Uh, Somos Pueblos Unidos from Santa Fe brought in some of the uh, migrant workers here locally that have had problems with ICE and uh, the system in general um, that have actually taken our system to court and won some pretty huge battles. and with uh, racial profiling as well as in uh, wage theft by local employers. And uh, I guess we could say that we based the weekend around the food system. Um, So last night I spoke to uh, really just set the tone for what's going on for the weekend and that's how do we uh, look at the food system through the lens of race and how do we look at it through social and uh, ecological justice and how do we combine those. Um, So we have a really big group and a lot of them um, have been doing a lot of racial justice work and a lot of social justice work uh, already and we have a lot of farmers (laughs) that are here. Um, We have people from all over the country, um, all over the southwest I should say. Um, all the way from Tucson and Denver and all over um, that are just doing the work. And so last year I had planted this seed um, after speaking with a Growing Partners uh, Symposium last year. And I was like, well, how do we engage a, a bigger dialogue and how do we really uh, unify not only our tribal entities, but the farmers that, that are, you know, the Western farmers that want to do, step into a different role and actually become part of the solution instead of continuing the, the problem. And uh, it's, pretty, it's been excellent. 
Twyla Casador was also in the kitchen. She's another I Collective member. Twyla, can you introduce yourself? Um, my name is Twyla Castor. I am from the Narastwasan clan from the St. Carlos Apache tribe. Right. And so you came here to uh, Dolores, Colorado to be with the other members of the I Collective here. And you brought a, a pretty special um, surprise. Everybody's wanting to take pictures of it, but it's an agave. Can you tell me about it? Okay. It's an agave plant that comes up at this time of the year, and it's something that um, Apache people have always harvested and used. Uh, we use it in ceremony. We use it in, um, like, gatherings of families, and it's a time that families come and get together. So it has a lot of meaning to it. It's something that is um, respected when you harvest. You don't just take it, and there are things that you do before you take it, and that's to keep that balance between Mother Earth and what you're collecting and that it nourishes your family. And so how do you take it? I mean, the, like the physical part of it. Okay. And, and what does this plant look like in, in out in the wild? Okay, it's, it looks like it's, it's a type of like a century stalk. A century plant, but you have the stalk that grows up, looks like an asparagus. And before the flower blooms, you want to capture this plant, take it, you know, I'm not capture, but... Um, get it before it blossoms and it's a really sweet plant so when you use like a gobby syrup then that's what it tastes like after you roast it because it's so when you caramelize it and it brings out all this taste you know and it's really good i also talked with rosie a Diné elder she was giving a traditional foods presentation but she gave us a preview of her presentation on red berry mush in the kitchen okay on the red berry mush you, I, use, I used to go to Dulce, and that's where I used to get these red berries, and they grow in those shrubs, and those berries are the small of my nails. If you couldn't take them off, if you want to be clean over there, if you start taking them off one by one, in a month's time, you might have it done. But how I do it is, you know, those shrubs are sticking all over the place, and I have a glove on, and I just go like this to the to those branches and they all fall off. And I just have a big pan like that and I just put all of them in there. Then I, when I get home, I usually just let it sit for um, a day. Then after that, I clean up all the uh, leaves. After that, I usually put it in the water and then I wash all the dirt off, spider webs off, whatever might be on there and clean it off. Then after that, I usually put it on a screen and put it on a screen and let all that water uh, dry up. And then after that, I usually put it in one of those uh, shaker thing that has screens underneath it and just put it out and have uh, something over it like this. And I let it sit out there maybe for about three weeks. And then after that, I put it in uh, one of those uh, you know, it's usually like, you know, one of those shaker, like, uh, it's a homemade, it's green, you know, it's a, it, it only has a frame on it, I put it in here, in there so the air can come in from the top, bottom, and sides. But it usually takes about four and a half to six months for it to completely dry. And I usually make enough for like two years, and it never goes back. When you start making this, it's uh, very easy to make. 
So I want my children and my grandchildren and their children to know this is our food and that they know they need to learn how to prepare it. So my daughter knows how and she was just baking it. I'm the kind of mother that wants my kids to know because I don't want my grandkids to say, oh, I don't know, she never told me. I didn't know that, you know, that was one of our food. You boil the red berry, you know, they come in little round balls and then you have to grind it and make it really fine. Then after that, you start boiling the water and you put, it depends on how much you can make. So, you know, just make sure it's red when you start doing this. And then you add flour to it. And then you let it boil some more and then you add a little sugar to it, just very little. So, but after it starts boiling, that sugar will make it really sweet. Now, try it. You know, is it ready? Yeah, it's ready You just heard from Christina Stanley, Carlos Baca, and Twyla Casador of the Eye Collective, and from Rosie. They were all at the Food Justice Symposium on April 28th in Dolores, Colorado. I'd like to thank the Eye Collective for welcoming me to their event and for feeding me. Photos of the food are at toastedsisterpodcast.com. You can visit iCollectiveInc.org for more information about this event and many other events that focus on Indigenous food. I'm Andy Murphy. This is Toasted Sister. We'll see you next time.